السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا الحمد لله it's good to be back and to continue with the book Umdut al-Fiqh of Imam Ibn al-Qudama al-Maqdasi rahimahu Allah ta'ala we've had a long break but coming back now by the permission of Allah azawajal we're starting the book or the Kitab al-Hajj so the Imam he says to us Kitab al-Hajj and the word Hajj, the ulama, they say that you can say it with a kasra or a fatha. You can say Hajj or you can say Hajj. Because Allah says in the Quran, Quran. So in this verse, Allah mentions it with a kasra, Hajj. Okay? Though the most recited is with a fatha. But it can be mentioned with a kasra. And the opposite is the case with regards to when you say the name of the month. When you say Dhul Hijjah, okay? You can also say Dhul Hajj, okay? But the more is with the Kasra. So what is the meaning of Hajj? The ulama, they say the meaning of Hajj linguistically, in terms of language, is Qast, Al-Qast, which means that which is sought, that which is intended, okay? Istilahan, technically, the technical definition of Hajj is Qastul Makkah, Qastul Makkah li amlin maqsus, من شخص مقصوص في زمن مقصوص قصد مكة لعمل مقصوص من شخص مقصوص في زمن مقصوص It is to seek out Mecca okay, for specific actions from a specific person in a specific time That is the technical definition of the word Hajj The Imam he says to us يجب الحج والعمرة That the Hajj and the Umrah is an obligation what does that mean to us? It's an obligation. It means that if we don't do it, we are liable to punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we do it with the correct intentions and the correct sunnah, then we're, we are rewarded immensely by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Imam, he says that it's something which is obligatory. And we said in the verse which we just took, وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ And upon Allah, meaning obligatory for Allah, is that the people, they make hajj. And in the hadith of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, which is found in Bukhari in Muslim, where he said, Bunya al-Islam wa khams, that Islam is built upon how many pillars? Five pillars. And one of them, he mentioned Hajj. Okay, the fourth of them, he mentioned Hajj, that we have to perform the Hajj. So the Imam and those who agree with him, they say that this is something which is obligatory, the Hajj and the Umrah is obligatory at least once in the year, once in the lifetime. Once in the lifetime, it has to be fulfilled. Okay? When can the Hajj be obligatory more than once? Is there a situation? It's obligatory upon the one who makes a vow upon himself. Okay, the one who vows that I will do Hajj if such and such happens to me in my life. This person it becomes obligatory upon. The Imam, he mentions now some of the conditions, the shurut. Shurut is the plural of the word shart. Shart meaning a condition. Meaning that if this thing is not there, then the act of worship cannot be there. Okay? What is the first of them he says? Those of you who have the book, the first condition. He says al-Muslim, huh? That the person has to be Muslim, okay? So when I'm going to talk now about these conditions, there are three things you have to remember. The first of them is that a shart is shart al-wujub, which means a shart which is obligatory. A condition of obligation, okay? The second of, the, of them is shart al-siha. Shart al-siha. Meaning that the condition here means that the act is valid in its performance. It was performed in the correct way. Shart al-siha. The third of them is shart al-idza. Shart meaning that now this obligation has been lifted from your neck. Meaning you have fulfilled your obligation in the sight of Allah. So there's three. I'm going to talk about three, right? Shart al-wujub, shart of it being obligatory. Shart al-siha, shart of it being correct in the fact that it was done correctly. Shart al-idza, meaning that it's now removed from the person's neck in terms of an obligation that you owe to your creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first of them, being a Muslim, which shart is this, do you think? Is it the shart of being, it makes it obligatory that in order for the hajj to be obligatory, you have to be a Muslim. Is that correct? That's correct, obviously. What about for the act of worship to be valid in terms of its performance? Shart al-siha, that you have to be Muslim, for it to be valid in terms of its performance. 
Shatul Siha. That's also correct, right? So it's Shatul Wujub and Shatul Siha. What about Shatul Idza? Meaning that it's removed from your neck as a responsibility in the sight of Allah. So if a non Muslim performed Hajj somehow, he went to Mecca, he performed Hajj. But then later on, due to the beauty that he saw, he became a Muslim, right? So now, once he's become a Muslim, he says, I've done Hajj already. Is this Shatul, is this uh, Idza for him? No. Okay, because he had to be a Muslim in order for this to be removed from his neck as an obligation. The next thing that the Imam he says from the conditions from the Sharut, he says Aqil. Aqil is that you must have your Aqil, you must have your mental faculties about you. <coughs> Excuse me. You must be able to comprehend. Okay, what shart is this? This is shart al wujub. Okay, it's not obligatory upon you if you don't have your mental faculties, right? And what else is it? Ishat al-Siha, meaning that your Hajj is not going to be correct in terms of its performance unless you have your mental faculties, unless you can understand what you are doing. And also, Shat al-Idza, okay, like the previous, that it's not going to be removed from your neck because if you're not comprehending what you're doing, you're not actually worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's all three again, right? And then the Imam, he says, al-Baliq. The third of these sharut is that the person must be Baliq. He must reach the age of puberty. Okay, he must reach the age of puberty. And this is, which shart do you think this is? All three? Okay, is this shart al-wujub? Yes. Until you are baligh, until you have reached the age of puberty, it's not obligatory upon you. Shart al-siha. Okay, if you do the hajj as a child under the age of puberty, is your hajj valid? In the sense that is it correct as an act of worship? It is. Because later we'll come to know that a woman, she raised her baby to the Prophet ﷺ and she said, hajj, ya Rasulullah. Does this one have hajj, O Prophet of Allah, a child, small child? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Naam, walaki al-ajr. Yes, and for you is the reward. So the act of worship is going to be sound. But is it shat al-idza? Meaning that when this person becomes older, can he say that I made hajj when I was five years old? No. So it's not going to be the hajj which is removed from his neck. So it's shat al-wujub and shat al-siha, but not shat al-idza. Okay? What does the Imam say next? And also supporting these uh, things that the Prophet said in terms of aqil and uh, bulugh, we have the hadith of the Prophet where he said, Rufi'a al-qalm an thalath an al-na'im hatta yastaykhid wa an al-sabi hatta yahtalim wa an al-majnoon hatta yaqil. The Prophet said the pen of obligations is lifted from three. From the one who is sleeping until he wakes up. From the one who is a child until he reaches puberty. And from the one who doesn't have mental faculties until he's able to think. Okay, so this hadith is a proof of what the Imam has mentioned so far. The Imam, he says, also, which shart is this now? The fourth one? Right? He says, al-hurriyah. Okay, that the person must be hur. The person must be free. Okay, a free Muslim. Which shart is this? To be a free Muslim. This is shart al-wujub. Okay, it's only obligatory upon him when he is free, not when he, whilst he's enslaved. Okay, is it shart al-siha? Is the hajj correct if the person does do the hajj? In the terms of performing the act of worship, it's correct. Is it shart al-idza? The ulama say no. It's not the shart which is not an act of worship which is removed from the person's neck if he does this while in the state of slavery. Imam Al-Tabarani and Imam uh, Ibn Abi Shayba and others, they collect from Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhu, he said, that any child who is under the age of puberty that does hajj and then he reaches puberty, he then again has to do the Hajj of Islam. And any slave which does the Hajj, and then later on he's freed in life, again upon him is the Hajj of Islam, meaning the obligatory Hajj. Okay? So the Ijza in this case of the one who's Hur is not given. Okay? He has to redo his Hajj later on. So the Imam he says the person has to be free. And then he mentions to us, إِذَا إِسْتَطَاءَ إِلَيْهِ سَبِيلًا If the person has the ability to do the hajj. إِذَا إِسْتَطَاءَ إِلَيْهِ سَبِيلًا What do you think the ability is? A bit louder, please. The funds exactly. Ahsan, the funds required. What else? Huh? Health. Excellent. 
What else? Huh? Free from debt, excellent. What else? Having the time, okay? Things like this. Having the time, having the health, having the wealth, and being free from debts. So the Imam, he says, istita'atu, the istita'a, the ability here, when the ulama, they speak about it, he says, yajid zadan, that the person should have provisions. Okay, this is what makes it obligatory upon him, the ability. And a riding beast or transport with everything that is required for that riding beast or for that transport to be sufficient. From that which is suitable for his economic status or standard. Okay, so the person has to have provision and the person has to have a means of transport which is suitable for his economic status. But what do we understand by this though? Say if a person is a millionaire and he's used to flying around in a jet. So there's no jet available for him. He has to go on the normal flight, though in first class. But he says, I can't do it because I'm used to the jet. Do we accept what he's saying? But the Imam is saying it should be, uh, it should be what is normally accepted for that person of that economic status. But these kind of extreme understandings, we don't accept. Yes, we say you should go in luxury, which is the norm of your status, right? You should have that which you require in terms of food and drink, spending money or whatever, but it shouldn't be taken to the extreme. Because if people do that, then many people, they won't make Hajj. If they start stipulating extra conditions like that. The Imam, he says, فَاضِلًا عَمَّا يَحْتَاجُ إِلَيْهِ لِقَضَاءِ دَيْنِهِ that this istita'a that he's talking about, the ability, he said it must be above and beyond that which is required for him to pay back his debts. So as the brother mentioned correctly, that if you have a debt which is owed, you cannot go to perform hajj, which is a debt to Allah, whilst you have a debt to humanity. The debt to humanity takes place above and beyond the debt to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. Look at the beautiful Islam. Justice. Pay your debts before even paying the debt to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Give the rights of the creation all of the time. Imagine those people who think they have the beards, they have the thobes, they think they're practicing Islam. As soon as they come out of the masjid, they're just oppressing the people. This is not Islam. Islam is about giving justice to the creation of Allah as well as first and foremost giving the rights to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Imam is saying to us that you must have the ability to pay your debt. But if the debt is one which is not agile, it's not one which is immediate, it's a deferred debt, and the person is sure that he, when he comes back, he'll be able to pay the debt, he's allowed to go for the hajj, okay? He's positive that when he comes back, he can pay the debt. Or it could be the case that the one who is owed the money says to him, it's no problem, you can go on the hajj, and when you come back, you can pay me in the time when you return. Some of the ulama, they say that if, even if the debt is great upon this person, meaning he doesn't have much money, then he should go and make hajj. He doesn't have much money, he has a little for hajj, but not enough for his debt. They say go and make hajj. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ in Tirmidhi, he said, Tabi'u bayn al-hajj wal-umrah, fa'innahuma yanfiyani al-faqar wal-dhunub. Yani, continue between doing hajj and umrah. For verily those two, they remove and diminish poverty and sins. Okay, so the one who goes on Hajj often, the one who goes on Umrah often, he will find that his wealth, by Allah's permission, will increase in its amount and in its barakah. The Imam he says to us after this, This istita'a which he's continually talking about, he's saying also there must be provision for him and his family continually, meaning to say that when he goes to Hajj. He not only should have enough provision for the journey there and back, but rather once he returns, he doesn't return to an empty house. He doesn't return to a situation of not being able to provide for himself. And then he said, الدوام, continually. Do you think that there's something a bit strange with that wording? Continually? Is it possible that any of us has risk continually for sure, that we know for sure that it's going to be continual? It's not possible, right? We don't know for sure that when we return from our journeys that our jobs are still going to be there or our lifestyle situation is going to remain the same in terms of economic income. So the ulama, they said that this is not really to be understood in this way. 
It's to be understood that there should be enough for him when he returns. That something should be for him and his family once he returns from the Hajj. But as for having a continual income, this cannot be a condition because the majority of the world, they don't live in that situation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The Shafi'i, the Maliki and the Hanbali scholars, may Allah have mercy upon them all. They say that if a person lives in a situation, in accommodation, whereby it's fairly expansive and he's able to sell part of that accommodation in order to raise money for Hajj if he doesn't have money to do so then he must do so so this brings to mind that many people they may not have liquid cash but they have many assets so they don't go into Hajj because they say that we don't have the liquid, liquid cash but they have many assets that they have invested in and they can easily sell to raise cash for them to go to Hajj they have to do so if that is the case they must sell what they are able to sell without difficulty upon them in order to raise money for Hajj what if you're in a situation where you're a person who has money for Hajj or that money is going to be used for marriage so you're in a situation now you want to get married right but you have that money can either be used for the Hajj or it can be used for the marriage what should you do Go for the Hajj, huh? possibly. Some people say go for the marriage in order to save your sanity or in order to save yourself from falling into sin, depending upon your situation. So they say if you're able to have sabr, if you're able to have patience with yourself and control yourself from the opposite gender, then you should go in Hajj. If you're unable to, then in this situation, use the money to get yourself married so you can protect your chastity. The Imam he says, And it's important also from the istita'a, from what we've been speaking about so far, the ability that the woman, she also must have a mahram. She must have a, a male relative that she cannot marry, okay, to accompany her on her journey to Hajj. Why? The Prophet said in Sahih Muslim, that a woman should not travel for more than three days or three days unless or except and unless with her is a mahram, is a male guardian. Okay? What happens if the woman goes without the mahram? What's the status of her hajj? The hajj will be valid, okay, because it's not shart al-idza, okay, nor is it shart al-siha, okay? Her hajj will be valid, but she will be sinful for having gone against the statement, the command of the Prophet ﷺ. In which situation does a woman not need to have a mahram? The woman, she doesn't need to have a mahram for the hajj or umrah. The ulama, such as Sheikh Abdaziz al-Rajihi, he said that if the woman is from Ahlul Makkah, if she lives within the confines of Makkah, then for this person it's not considered that she's traveling. Okay, because things are very close to her and she doesn't have to have a mahram though she should go with a group that she trusts a group of women or another hajj group the imam he says that the mahram is the mahram is her husband and also those that she can never marry from nasab from relationships meaning like her father her grandfather her uncles from both sides her, her sons her, uh, her nephews, okay, like this. These are her mahrams if they reach the age which is required. The Imam he says, "Oh, sababin mubah," or for a permissible reason that a person become a, can become a mahram not through nasab, not because he's related to you, but there can be another valid reason to make this person a mahram for you. Like for example, if the person breastfed from the same uh, milk that you breastfed from then this person becomes a mahram for you through the breastfeeding okay this is what the imam he means here <coughs> the imam he says فَمَنْ فَرَّتَ حَتَّى مَاتْ أُخْرِجَ عَنْهُ مِنْ مَالِهِ حَجَّةً وَأُمْرَةً the person if he makes tafrit until he dies tafrit means negligence carelessness wasn't bothered to go ahead and do the act of worship okay he just didn't bother. So if this is the case of a person, may Allah protect us from that, that the Hajj is not done until, and the person dies upon that, whilst he was able to do the Hajj, 
that when this person dies, that his wealth, before it is bequeathed, before it is divided amongst those who are going to receive it, then money should be taken out for somebody to make Hajj al-Badl on his behalf. That somebody will make the Hajj on his behalf. Okay? And with regards also, if somebody is sick, doesn't have the ability to go to Hajj due to the body, but has the ability due to wealth, then this person should also do the same. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ was asked in Bukhari and Muslim, a woman came to him and she said, Ya Rasulullah, Inna faridatallahi ala ibadihi fil hajj adrakat abi shaykhan khabiran la yastati'un an yuthbita ala rahila afa'ahudja anhu qal na'am A woman came to the Prophet ﷺ and she said, O Prophet of Allah, the obligation of hajj has reached my father whilst he's in an old age and he's feeble. He's not able to sit upon a riding beast because of his weakness. Shall I make hajj on his behalf? The Prophet ﷺ said, yes. So based upon this hadith, that if a person doesn't have the ability physically, but has the ability in monetary terms, then money should be given to another person to make hajj on their behalf. Say again, please. Yes, yes, the person has to make the intention that this is this person I'm giving the money to the person who will make the hajj on my behalf. Okay? And we'll speak a bit about that later on, inshallah. The Imam says, Wala hajj min kafir. That the hajj is not accepted from a kafir. Wala majnun, nor from a person who doesn't have the faculties about them. But it is correct from a young child. Correct in which sense? Correct in the sense of its performance, not in the correct of the sense of idza, which means removing the obligation from your neck. Okay? And it's also correct from the slave. But it's not removed from the obligation on their neck. If the child goes on Hajj, okay, there will be some acts of worship that the child cannot do. In this situation, the guardian would do those acts of worship for the child. For whatever the child can do, the child can put on the ihram, for example. The child may be able to make tawaf, okay? Let's say a 12-year-old or 11-year-old may be able to make tawaf. But when it comes to rami, the throwing of the, uh, the hitting the jamarat, where it's very busy and extremely crowded and a bit dangerous, maybe the parents will have to do that on behalf of the child, okay? So the guardians will do whatever the child cannot do. And whoever makes hajj for other than himself. But this person hasn't yet done the hajj for himself. Right? Or this person is making a hajj due to a vow. Okay? Or it's a nafal hajj. So either he's doing it for somebody else, or it's a vow, or it's a nafal hajj. Yet he hasn't done his own hajj. What does the imam say? That this hajj that he's doing, it's going to be converted to the obligatory hajj. Okay? It's not going to be accepted as what he intended. Rather, it's going to be converted to the obligatory hajj in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And not other than that. Why? In the hadith collected by Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah, the Prophet ﷺ heard a man saying, Labayk, Allahumma. And Shubruma. Labaik, our Allah, on Shubruma. A person called Shubruma. Interesting name. The Prophet said, Man Shubruma. He said, Akhun li aw qaribun li. He said, Who is this Shubruma? He said, A brother of mine, or it was said, a relative. The Prophet said, Hajjasta an nafsik, qala. He said, Hujj an nafsik awalan, thumma an Shubruma. The Prophet asked him, Have you made Hajj yourself? He said, No. He said, Make Hajj for yourself first, and then make Hajj for this Shubruma. Okay? So this is backing up what the Imam, he said to us a few moments ago. The next chapter the Imam speaks about in the book of Hajj, he mentions Bab al-Mawaqit. Chapter of the Mawaqit. Mawaqit is the plural of Miqat. Miqat means literally a boundary. So the Miqat, the boundaries of Hajj, they're of two types. Al-Miqat, al-Makani, Miqat al-Makani, which means a boundary of place. And Miqat al-Zamani, which means a boundary of time. The boundary of place are the five which the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned to us, right? That you cannot pass <coughs> as a pilgrim 
beyond this boundary except that you have the intention for Hajj or Umrah and are in the state of Ihram. The boundary of time is that the Hajj and the Umrah, sorry, the Hajj must be done within this boundary of time. It cannot be done before or after this boundary of time that we will mention. Okay? The Prophet ﷺ in Bukhari and Muslim is narrated that وَقَتَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ لِأَهْلِ الْمَدِينَةِ ذَا الْحُلَيْفَةِ That the Prophet ﷺ made a boundary for the people of Medina at the Halayfa. Okay? وَلِأَهْلِ الشَّامِ الْجُحْفَةِ And for the people of Sham, Jordan, Palestine, Syria, etc. الْجُحْفَةِ and for the people of Najd, okay, not the Najd in Saudi Arabia per se, the Najd from Iraq, Syria, and Yemen, other places, okay, all of this is included. Then this is Qarn al Manazil, Qarn al Manazil. And for the people of Yemen, Yalamlam, okay, sounds like a milkshake, Yalamlam, okay, this place called Yalamlam is for the people of Yemen. The Prophet said, Hunna lahunna. It is for them, وَمَنْ أَتَى عَلَيْهِنَّ And for others who come to it, مِنْ غَيْدِهِنَّ مِمَّنْ يُرِيدُ الْحَجْ وَأُمْرَةِ It's for those people who live within the confines of these boundaries, okay? And also from others who are coming from beyond those boundaries, who, who want to do hajj and umrah. And the Prophet ﷺ said, وَمَنْ دُونَ ذَلِكَ And whoever is inside of those boundaries, then he makes his intention and his ihram from wherever he is within those boundaries, okay? Even the people of Mecca, they make their intention from Mecca, okay? So this is the hadith which is a foundation for explaining the miqat al-makani, the miqat which is of place, okay? The boundaries which are of place. So the Imam, he says, The miqat of Ahlul Madinah, the people of Madinah, is Dhul Hulayfa. It's a small village which is known now as Abyar Al-Ali. Abyar Ali. Okay? Abyar Ali. And it's the furthest miqat from Mecca. Okay? It's 410 kilometers or so away from Mecca. It's the furthest of the miqat. The people of Sham and Misr and Maghrib, the Imam, he says, their miqat is Al-Juhfa. Their miqat is Juhfa. Okay? It used to be that it was destroyed until recently and people were making ihram from a place called Raghib. But now it's been rebuilt and a masjid has been made there and people can now make the ihram from that place, okay? From Al-Juhfa. It's about 200 kilometers away from Mecca. And the people of Yemen, they come from, they make the miqat from the place known as Yalamlam. Yalamlam known now in today's time as As-Sa'di, As-Sa'diyya, As-Sa'diyya. As-Sa'diyya, okay? It's around 90 kilometers from Mecca. And the people of Najd, Qarn al-Manazil, as we said, is known today, in today's time, as Sayl al-Kabir. Sayl al-Kabir, okay? And it's around 75 kilometers from Mecca. Walil Mashriq, and from the people of the East, Dhatu Irq. This wasn't mentioned in the hadith, but it's mentioned in other narrations. And it's disputed whether the Prophet ﷺ made this miqat or whether Umar radiallahu anhu made this miqat. In any case, it's agreed upon by the Muslims. Okay? Dhatu Irq. It's for the people of Iraq and the others from the east. The distance is around 100 kilometers from Mecca. If you're traveling towards this miqat, on the plane, for example, right? Normally, they're supposed to announce for you, right? Before you get to the miqat, so you can make your intention of the ihram. And you can put on the ihram if you haven't already done so. What if the pilot has forgotten to do so? Okay? Or it's on a plane where they normally do not do so. Then you have to ensure that at least 30 minutes before landing to Jeddah, you make the intention for the ihram and you change into the ihram. You do not do what people do, which is that coming by sea or by plane, they wait till they get to Jeddah. This is not permissible. It means that you've passed the miqat and upon you will be a, a dam. Upon you will be a fidya. Okay? A penalty. So the Imam, he says, These miqat, these boundaries, are for the people that live within those boundaries and also for the, those who live outside of those boundaries who will pass by the boundary as they go towards Mecca. They will pass by a particular boundary as they go towards Mecca. However, if one is coming, say, for example, from Yemen, and we said his boundary is Yalamlam, right? But he's not going to go to his normal boundary of Yalamlam. He's traveling a different direction. 
and he's going to come a different way from Medina. Okay? Then what does he do? Does he make the uh, intention and the ihram from the, bound, from the boundary, the miqat of Ahlul Makkah? Or does he have to go back to his boundary, which is Yalamlam? Okay? Many of the scholars and the humbly scholars, they said, no, he makes it from where he is at. Okay, from the miqat that he has reached to. Regardless of if that was his miqat, meaning for, for his people or not. Okay, but others like Ibn Taymiyyah, they say, no, he has to wait till he gets to the boundary, which uh, is for his people. But our Imam and others, they say, even for uh, what's accepted is that any boundary that he comes to, once he intends to go from that boundary into the state of Ihram, then that is well and good for him. طيب. The Imam, he says, That if a person happens to be living in Mecca or resident in Mecca or visiting Mecca and he decides to make Hajj or Umrah, this person doesn't need to go, uh, sorry, decides to make Hajj, not the Umrah, then this person doesn't need to leave to go to one of these boundaries, rather he makes the intention uh, from wherever he is. But with regards to the situation of a person being in Mecca, if he wants to make Umrah, right, then he needs to go out to places like Tan'im, which is known as Al-Hil, where he can put on the Ihram and make the intention for him to go to Umrah. The Imam, he says, وَمَنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ طَرِيقُهُ عَلَى مِقَاتٍ فَمِقَاتُهُ حَذْوَ أَقْرَبِهَا إِلَيْهِ and if a person is in a situation when he's not passing the miqat, then his miqat is going to be one which is closest to it. So if he's in a situation like flying over or he's traveling and he's not actually going to the area of the miqat, but he's adjacent to it. Okay, he's adjacent to it by a few miles, then that person can make miqat from the place where he's adjacent to the original miqat. Okay? The Imam, he says, this is the important part, right, for us. That the person who wants to make, who wants to enter into Mecca, he's not allowed to pass the miqat غَيْرُ muhrim Unless he's in the state of ihram. Okay? He gives exceptions. He said, except for the one who is doing a permissible fighting. Permissible fighting is for who? It was for the Prophet ﷺ. Because as we know, Mecca is forbidden to fight there. Qital is forbidden there, right? But it was allowed for the Prophet ﷺ for a portion of the day when there was Fath al-Makkah, when he was conquering Mecca. Okay? And after that, it returned to its origin, which is that it's sanctified and none is allowed to shed blood there. Okay? إِلَّا قِتَالٍ مُبَاحٍ Or for a need which is repetitive. Like say, for example, you are a delivery driver delivering goods, food, etc. to Mecca. If we were to say to you that every time you go into Mecca, you have to put on the ihram, you have to go into the state of ihram, this is going to be something which is very difficult, okay? The Imam, he gives the example of the one who's a woodcutter. He's going out of the boundary of Mecca to cut wood and then he wants to come back. So every time he comes back, we cannot say to him, put on the ihram. But, the person who does enter into Mecca, if he wants to make the uh, nusuk, meaning the hajj, then he makes the ihram from wherever he is in Mecca. وَإِنْ جَاوَزَهُ غَيْرُ مُحْرِمٍ The Imam, he says, now if a person passes the miqat without being in the state of ihram, what is the state of ihram? Wearing the clothes, huh? Doing the talbiyah. What do you mean by talbiyah? Okay, this is the real ihram, is to make the niyyah, okay? Because you, the, the clothing is important, but the actual ihram, coming to the state of ihram, being a muhrim, is that you have the intention now to perform the umrah or the hajj, okay? So the imam, he says, if you go past the miqat, uh, not being in the state of ihram, min al miqat. then if you remembered, you must quickly go back to the miqat that you've passed and make the intention from there, okay? And if he does this, then there's no fidya, there's no uh, expiation or penalty upon him. Okay? Because he made the ihram from the correct place. But if he makes the ihram, the intention after passing the miqat, okay, what does the imam say? Then this person has to pay a penalty. The person who passed the miqat, Right, and he made the intention, 
then he has to pay a penalty whether he decides to go back to the miqat or not. Why? Because it doesn't benefit him going back to the miqat. The fact is that he passed the miqat, he made the intention, that's where he has to pay the penalty. Because he actually made the intention, passed the miqat. And Imam Malik, he collects in his muwatta from Ibn Abbasin radiyallahu anhu, who said, man taraka, man nasya shay'an min nusukihi, aw tarakahu falyuhriq dhamman. Whoever forgets something from his rituals of hajj, okay, or he has left one of the rituals of hajj, then let him uh, make a sacrifice, okay, for alayhi dam. The Imam, he says, وَالْأَفْضُلْ أَنْ لَا يُحْرِمْ قَبْلَ الْمِقَاتِ فَإِنْ فَعْلَ فَهُوَ مُحْرِمٌ It's better that the person doesn't go into the state of ihram before the miqat. He means here, way before the miqat, right? Not just like 10, 15, 20 minutes. Way before the miqat. But if he does so, then it's valid. If he does so, then it's valid. If he makes the ihram, for example, from the UK, or from America, or from, you know, miles away, excuse me, then his ihram is still valid, but it's khilaf al-awla. It's not the best thing to do. The best thing to do is to wait till you come close to the miqat. However, if he does it, there's ijma' from Imam Nawi, Ibn Qudama, Al-Maqdasi, and Ibn Munzir, all of them, they say that ijma' that his uh, action will be accepted. The action of making it way before will be accepted because some of the companions, radiallahu anhum, they made ihram from Bayt al-Maqdis, okay? All the way from Bayt al-Maqdis. Though other companions, they made inkar upon them for doing so. The Imam, he said, it's better not to do. Why? Why is it better not to make the ihram from such a distance? Ascent. Because ihram has conditions, right? It puts you into a state of now so many things you are not allowed to do. So if you do it all the way from the UK or America, it means you have to be in that state for a long period of time, which may be difficult for you. And also even more important than that, than that is the sunnah. The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is the best course of action, which is to make uh, ihram from the miqat, not from way before it. However, as we said though, if it's done, it's valid. The imam now, he will, he's finished talking about the mawaqit uh, al-makani. He's finished talking about the boundaries of place. Now he's going to talk about Mawaqit al-Zamani, Miqat al-Zamani. Okay? The boundary of time. He says the months of Hajj wherein it's permissible for you to get into the state of Ihram is from the month of Shawwal, once Shawwal starts, okay? And the month after, which is Dhul Qa'da, and then the 10 days of the month after, which is Dhul Hijjah. Any of these 10 days is permissible for you, any of these times is permissible for you to get into the state of being a muhrim, not before that, and obviously not after that, okay? Sorry. The majority of ulama, they say, if you do do it before these times, you put yourself in a state of ihram, your ihram is valid, but it's makru, it's severely disliked, okay? So if you do it even before shawal, like say for example you do it in Ramadan for whatever strange reason, <coughs> then it will be valid for you, but it's extremely disliked. Okay, it's makru. Kiraha shadida. So this is the month of Hajj. These are the months of Hajj, right? Shawal, Dhul Qa'da, and the 10 days of Dhul Hajjah. When is the best time to make Umrah for a person? Excellent. During Ramadan, because the Prophet said, whoever does the Umrah during Ramadan, uh, then it is equated in terms of reward to Hajj, okay? The Imam, he mentions now, Bab al-Ihram, Bab al-Ihram, the chapter of the Ihram itself, being in the state which is required from you when you enter into the Miqat. He says, It is having the intention to be in the state of being one who is going to perform Hajj or Umrah, okay? It is having the intention. Man arad al-ihram, ustuhibba lahu an yaqtasil. The one who wants to make the ihram, then it's recommended for him, yani it's sunnah mu'akkada, it's recommended for him, actually here, it's recommended for him to make ghusl, 
Okay, before he puts on his ihram, before he goes into the state of the ihram, it's recommended for him to make ghusl. And also for him to clean himself. What do I mean by clean? I just said ghusl and now I mean clean. What does clean mean here? What does yatanadhaf mean? Cleaning of the hair, trimming of the nail and things like this. If it's required for you to do so, meaning if you are in the state where you need to trim your nails and remove hair. And it's recommended for him also to put on tib, to put on scents, okay? To put on perfumes, okay? And to remove his clothing and to put on, to remove all stitch, stitched clothing and to put on an izar and rida, which is white and clean, okay? To remove stitched clothing. But what if you have an ihram which has stitches on it? <laughs> See, this word makhit is not used in the sunnah. The ulama brought it later. What they meant by makhit, stitched clothing, they mean clothing which is stitched together to fit over your body. Clothing which is in the shape of normal clothing, okay? So your ihram, even if it has a thousand stitches on it, is not a problem because it's not clothing which is normal for that which you use to cover your body. So the thing which you have to not do is to not have uh, makhit, clothing which is stitched, in the shape of normal clothing which covers your body, okay? And also including for this is the women, they cannot wear gloves, nor can they wear the niqab. But if they want to cover their face, they can bring down their khimar from their heads to cover their face uh, if they want to do so. And the Imam, he said that you should have white clothing, right? The, the izar and the rida, the ihram, it's recommended that it be white. Why? Because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said in the hadith in Abi Dawood and Tirmidhi, Ilbisu min thiyabikum al-bayad, fa'innaha min ahsani thiyabikum wa kafinu fiha mawtakum. Wear from your clothing that which is white, for verily it's from the best of your clothing, and use it to wrap the dead from amongst you. Okay? And note that the Imam, he didn't say that the izar, that the um, ihram has to be new. He didn't say it has to be new. So as long as it's clean, you do not have to go out and buy a new one for hajj or umrah every time you go. You can wear whatever you have as long as it's clean. The Imam, he says, after you put on the, the ihram, ثُمَّ يُسَلِّ رَقْعَتَيْنِ وَيُحْرِمَا أَقِيبَهُمَا After having done these things, the perfume, uh, the trimming of the nails and the hair, the washing, then what you do is put on the ihram and you pray to rak'ah. The majority of the ulama, they say that these two units of prayer are specific to putting on the ihram. Meaning that it's a specific prayer connected to the ihram. Okay? Other ulama like Sheikh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, they say no, it's not the case. Rather what the Prophet Sallallahu was found to have done is that he would put on his ihram after that fajr prayer, for example or after praying Salatul Duha, for example. So it wasn't a specific prayer for the ihram, rather it was found to be that he would just do it in the time which co coincided with that which was an obligatory prayer like Fajr or Salatul Duha, okay? But the majority of the ulama, they say no, it's specific to the ihram. In any case, you pray, it's highly recommended that you pray these two raka'at. And the Imam, he's saying that the reality of the ihram is that you make the intention to be in the state of ihram. And it's recommended that he makes nutq, that he uh, vocalizes his intention. So he says, Okay, these are the different intentions. So you have in Hajj, you have three types of Hajj. You have Hajj al-Ifrad, which is Hajj on its own. So here the person makes the intention for Hajj alone. He says, Allahumma Hajj. You have what is known as Mutamatta', which is that the person does Hajj, the person does Umrah first, removes his Ihram for whatever period of time. And when it's time for Hajj, he goes back into the Ihram for Hajj. So this person, he says, Allahumma Umrah, because he's going to make the Umrah first. And then later, he will make the intention for the Hajj. The one who's doing the Qiran, Qiran is that you do the Hajj and the Umrah in the same Ihram. You don't remove the Ihram between the two. This person says, Allahumma Hajj wa Umrah. Okay? So you make nutq of the uh, intention. 
And the person when he's doing this talbiyah or he's doing this intention, he makes ishtirat. Ishtirat is that you make a condition in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You say, Allahumma inni uridu nusuk al-fulani. Oh Allah, I wish to do such and such pilgrimage from the ones that I mentioned, okay? And then you say, فَإِنْ حَبَسَنِي حَابِسٌ فَمَحَلِّي حَيْثُ حَبَسَتْنِي فَإِنْ حَبَسَنِي حَابِسٌ فَمَحَلِّي حَيْثُ حَبَسَتْنِي However, if something prevents me, O oh Allah, from completing this intention that I've declared to you, then my mahil, my freeing of the ihram, will be from the place where I was prevented. So the ulama, they say that the person makes this, why? So that the person will be, if he's prevented from fulfilling one of the rituals of hajj, to whatever reason, sickness for example, or an enemy or danger has prevented him, then he doesn't have any penalties that he has to pay. Okay, he's free. Because he made this intention with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But many of the ulama, they say, this is only for the case of the one who truly believes that maybe he will not be able to, due to a reason, external reason, complete his hajj or umrah. He said, it's not for everyone to make this uh, ishtirat, to make this condition. It's for the one who knows that he has back problems. But at the moment, he's feeling very good. But it's very possible that his back difficulty may return to him. Something of this nature, okay? The Imam says, The person is able to choose between these three different types of Hajj. And the best of these types of Hajj is the Tamattu'. The one that we said when you do the Umrah first, you remove your Ihram, you wait till the days of Hajj, and then you go back into your Ihram for the Hajj. Why is this the best? Because the, this is what the Prophet ordered his companions with. And this is the one which has more acts of worship in it. Thumma al-ifrad, and after tamattu' is al-ifrad, and after that is al-qiran. The imami now, he mentions what the different types of hajj are that I've, also, I've already explained. Hajj al-tamattu' is that you go into the state of ihram within the time periods of hajj, these three months that I mentioned. Then you remove the ihram. And then within the same year, you cannot wait till the next year, within the same year when the time for hajj comes, then uh, then you make the intention for the ihram. And the one who making hajj al-ifrad is that he makes the intention for only doing hajj. So he stays in the situation of, of ihram from whenever he enters into Mecca to do the hajj. And Qiran is to have the intention to do both Umrah and Hajj together without a separation in between. Or he makes the intention to do Umrah and then he adds to that intention whilst not removing the Ihram to make the Hajj. Okay? And if the person has the intention for the Hajj and then makes the intention for an Umrah, he made the intention for the Hajj. Not like the one we just mentioned. He made the intention for the Umrah, then the Hajj, that's valid. But here he's saying the person made the intention for the Hajj, then adds to it an Umrah. He says, Lam This is not permissible for the person to do so. Okay? Because the actions of Umrah are already contained within the Hajj. And when the person, he gets upon his riding beast or transport, then he starts to make the Talbiyah. This is when it is Sunnah. The talbiyah is sunnah mu'akkada, it's not wajib, okay? So if a person for whatever reason was to leave it, then he loses out on a great amount of reward, but it doesn't affect his hajj, okay? It's not wajib, it is something which is sunnah mu'akkada. And it was from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that he would do it once he had mounted his riding beast, okay? So it's sunnah for you once you mount your riding beast or you mount the transport that you are going to be using, then that's when you should do, start doing the talbiyah. So the person says these beautiful, amazing words. Oh Allah, I'm responding to your call. Which call? The call which Ibrahim made millenniums ago. Thousands and thousands of years ago, right? Where Allah said to him, Proclaim and announce to the people, Hajj. Yet in the time of Ibrahim nobody was there. But look today, subhanAllah, Allah has answered that dua of Ibrahim salam, to call out to the people for hajj. Today, millions and millions of people from the time of the Prophet وسلم, are going continually to hajj. So you're saying, labaik Allahumma labaik. You are imagining and you are feeling that Allah, I'm here. I'm responding to that call. 
You have gifted me to be able to respond to that call. I have intended to respond to that call. Oh Allah, I am acknowledging and proclaiming with certainty that you have no partners whatsoever. All worship and glorification belongs to you alone. And then you say, Allah, oh I proclaim and accept and understand fully that all praise of all forms for everything that I have in my life and everything that anybody has from bounty and good belongs to you alone. And the greatest of praise is for you to bring me here so that I can do this great act of worship. This is the meaning of this talbiyah. La sharika lak, you have no partner. So we should understand the meanings when we do this talbiyah because it will help you to enjoy the act of worship. The more you understand what you are doing, what you are saying in acts of worship, the more you are able to enjoy, okay? This is something extremely important. One of the reasons we study we want to know what we are doing so we can enjoy our act of worship as well as doing it correctly. It's recommended that you continue to do this talbiyah as much as possible in the state of Hiram and that you raise your voice doing so. Apart from the women. Why from the women? Because her voice is awra. Okay, the voice of the woman is awra. And it is more stressed if the person goes up a hill or some height or goes down a valley or something of that nature. It's more stressed that you do the talbiyah then. Or you hear somebody else doing the talbiyah, you should also do the talbiyah also. Or you do something which is forbidden for you to do in the state of ihram, then you should also do the talbiyah. Or you see somebody else that is riding, Okay, then meaning you meet somebody else on the way, you should also do the talbiyah. And after the salah, you should do the talbiyah. And in the early morning, you should do the talbiyah. And before the night and during the day, you should do the talbiyah. In other case, in reality, you do the talbiyah as much as you can in all time, as much as you can. The Imam next, he's going to mention Bab Mahdurat al-Ihram. That which is forbidden for you to do in Ihram, I think we'll leave this for next week, inshallah. We've managed to concentrate for 15 minutes, which is quite amazing. May Allah reward you all for your efforts. I mean, anything which was correct was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any shortcomings and mistakes were from myself and shaitan. One quick thing to add about this talbiyah. Labayk Allahumma labayk, labayk la sharika laka bayk. Inna alhamda wa ni'mata laka lumulk, la sharika laka. There are other forms of talbiyah in the sense that some of the companions, they added to it. So the ulama, they said, it's not good for you to do it, but also it's not something which is extremely disliked because Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu added to the talbiyah, okay? But you should stick to the words of the Prophet Ibn Umar being a mujtahid of the highest caliber, being a scholar of the highest caliber, he made ijtihad and added some words to the talbiyah. If you have any questions, comments, clarifications, feel free.